0: About the resurrection, and it's interesting. You know, after Jesus rose again, there's very little recorded in Scripture about what he taught or talked with or discussed with the disciples. Aside from the account in John chapter 21, where Jesus talks with Peter about, you know, do you love me, feed my sheep? Aside from that, we really have no recorded discussions. It says that he taught them about the kingdom, he shared with them some stuff. Wouldn't you love to know what they talked about? Yeah, it's like, well, you know, you, you died, you came back. You know, what do you, what do you talk about? You know, do you say, hey, Jesus, like, how's the weather? I mean, you know, what do you say to a guy who's been dead and has come back to life? Well, to really get Jesus' perspective on the resurrection, we have to kind of rewind a bit and go back to uh, what he says about the resurrection before it happened. And so t- today we want to do that. And we want to kind of rewind a bit to John chapter 14. And uh, in, in John chapter 14, it is the night of his arrest. Okay, so we just celebrated the resurrection. Now we've got to put the brakes on, put it in reverse, back up, all the way back to chapter 14 of John. And uh, kind of put ourselves back in the mode before the cross for a minute uh, to really get his, Jesus' perspective on what the resurrection really means for us today? that's what we want to look at this morning. Um, in John chapter 14, the dinner's over. they've had you know the Lord's supper the last meal. He broke the bread. they did just as we did. They celebrated uh, what, what we now call communion. Uh, they were you know they were full. there was scraps of food laying around and dirty dishes that nobody wanted to pick up because they wouldn't even wash each other's feet, much less take care of the dirty dishes. And, um, and the, the disciples could sense in the air that something was wrong. Now They didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to die. They, they still had not put all the pieces together yet, even though Jesus had told them over and over again, I'm going to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me, and after three days I will rise again. He made it very clear but it just went right over their head. But they could, in spite of the fact that they didn't understand it all, they knew something was up. And you know how that is? you ever been in that situation where you don't know what's going on, but you know whatever it is, it's not good? You're walking to a room where everybody's kind of looking with this stone face, and you can just feel it in the air. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, whoops, something's not right here. And you just sense that. And I, I know... Too many times I've walked into those situations where there's been a death or some huge tragedy, and you just know instantly. You can feel it. Well, the disciples were there. They could sense this growing sense of anxiety, and they were pretty sure, even though they didn't understand it all, that it had something to do with Jesus leaving. And for them, it caused them great anxiety and fear and worry and concern and confusion. And so in John chapter 14 and actually chapters 15, 16, and 17, Jesus pulls out all the stops to do everything he can to encourage them. So he starts off in John chapter 14, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, I know you are troubled. I know you are anxious. I know you're confused. The ironic thing is, you know, Jesus is the one who's minutes away from his arrest. Hours away from his execution on the cross. And even in this moment, Jesus is seeking to comfort and to encourage his disciples. And in this passage, there's so much here, I was going to do this all today, it's just too much, so we're going to look at half of the chapter today and half next week on how Jesus encourages his disciples in the midst of their troubles. Now, uh, has anybody here ever had troubles? Anybody? Anybody? ever felt anxious about Anything? Well, the amazing thing is that when Jesus gave these encouraging words, it wasn't just for the anxieties of his disciples. But really, there are truths that are eternal that apply to us as much today as it did to the disciples 2,000 years ago. And so I don't know what you are troubled with. Life can certainly be tough and disappointing. Um, Things can go wrong. Uh, Our plans can get turned upside down. And we may find ourselves, like the disciples, feeling a great deal of trouble in our hearts. And Jesus gives us some great encouraging words and how we can find His hope and strength in the midst of those discouraging times. So, the first thing He says, uh, plain and simply, He says, Trust me, because we are going home. That's the first point. Jesus says, Trust me, we are going home. And He puts it this way He says, Don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. There are many rooms in my Father's home, and I am going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know where I am going and how to get there. Uh, (coughs) A troubled heart is a sign, first of all, that we are worried about our future. Okay, if you are feeling anxiety, there's a good chance that behind it, you are worried about your future. And that was certainly true of the disciples. They were very worried about their future. Uh, Why? Well, they had invested a lot of their life and energy and heart in Jesus. And they believed that Jesus was going to come, set up a kingdom. Going to make them, you know, uh, cabinet members in his cabinet. And they were going to take over the world. And they had big plans for Jesus, big plans for their own life. All of a sudden, now Jesus says, by the way, I'm leaving. And they're going, ah, what does that mean for us? What are the implications of that for our life? You know, does that mean I can't go out and buy the big, big, you know, soft, easy boy chair for my new office? And Jesus is going, yeah, probably. <coughs> don't buy furniture. You know, don't paint, don't rearrange the office yet. Okay? And they were anxious because they were uncertain about their future. Um, in the midst of that kind of uncertainty, and oftentimes you and I have been there, we ask questions like, am I going to be safe? And honestly, for the disciples, that wasn't even certain. Uh, they were going up against some very big bad enemies. And uh, their own safety was a question. We can be concerned about our future. Are we going to be okay? Are we going to be safe? Uh, there was fear, and rightly so. Is Jesus going to be safe? And of course, we know that in the short term, he was not. Um, what are some of the things that you worry about? You know, we worry about things like money. We worry about things like our health, our kids. You know, our kids are going to grow up to be, you know, just total troublemakers or sweet, nice kids brilliant Christians like us, you know, Uh, we worry about those things. We worry about uh, the next move in our life. What is God's will for our life? Are we going to be in Chiang Mai a year from now or six months or five years from now? What's God have for our future? Um, We can worry about things like global warming and the political situation in Thailand or in the world in our home country. Uh, I talked to a guy this week, not a believer, uh, barely met the guy and he's talking about global warming and the end of the world. And I was going, man, you need, you need Jesus, you know, because uh, he's the only one that can help your problems. And, uh, you know, we can worry about all these things and they can bring great trouble to our heart and anxiety because we're uncertain about the future. Um, well, Jesus says, the bottom line is, guys, you have got to trust me. I know you're scared. I know you're worried. I know you're troubled in heart. Believe in God. Believe in me. Trust me that I know what I'm doing and I have everything in control. And even though in a few moments it's going to look like everything is out of control and it's going to look like your whole world is turning upside down, even in the midst of that, you have got to trust that God is still God, that I am still uh, God, and that I am in control. Uh, He says, trust in me, believe in God. Um, Trust is the only cure. And, And most of the stuff in this passage is built on this principle that we must trust in Jesus. We must trust that his death was for real. We must trust that the resurrection is real. We must put our life confidently in those facts. So that's the first thing. He says, Bottom line is, you've got to trust me because we're going home. And he explains that in a minute. So then he second thing, uh, trust me because you will be with me forever. Um, another sign of a troubled heart is that we are we're worried about the future, but we are also living with a certain sense of fear. you are worried about the future, and we're fearful both of the future and our present situation. I'm sure so that was true the disciples. Uh, fear was starting to grip their heart. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you starting to feel anxious? Things are getting tense. You're not sure about your future. And you find yourself, like, biting people's heads off. during you ever notice that? Oftentimes we... Uh, <laughs> thank you for the honest confession. I do it all the time. I'll share a story in a moment. Um, have you ever how that happens? A lot of times... A lot of times we don't actually see the fear in our own life. But we experience it in, in frustration, in anger, in not getting along with people. Behind that oftentimes is fear. It's uh, one of the great things, as we, we all know, it's one of the great things about being married. When you're married, you have somebody you can just totally blow up and rip apart when you're fearful, right? Okay, It's not, it's not the greatest thing if you're on the receiving end of it. Did you ever notice that in marriage? I know it's true for Denise and I. uh, Things aren't going well, and I start to feel anxious and worried. And oftentimes, instead of pulling together and putting my arm around her and saying, you know, let's just trust God and pray, and it's going to be all right. Is that what I do? Uh, Not often. Usually I start getting angry, and I say mean things. Well, behind that is this fear about my future, about if we're going to be okay and if everything is going to work out. Um... And that fear can grip us and uh, we can start demanding answers. It's interesting, in the midst of all this, um, Jesus says, "You know my father's house are many rooms, many places so I'm going to make for you, uh, and uh, you know where I'm going and how to get there." and And you can just sense the frustration and the, just the anger and fear welling up in the disciples and finally, Thomas can't take it anymore. He goes, no, we don't know, Lord, where you are going. Just, just tell us. You know, draw a map. We need a picture. Okay, We don't get it. And you can just feel this frustration, this fear and anxiety and worry built in, in, in uh, Thomas' mind. A little bit later, Philip says, Lord, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. They're getting to the point where frustration is kicking in, that fear is kicking in, um, and Jesus says, trust me, everything is under control. I've got things worked out, and here's the deal. He says, I have to leave in order to go prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I need to go and prepare a place for you so that we can live together forever. Okay, he, says, he says, we're going home, and I need to prepare the way there. Now for a long time this passage kind of puzzled me and I thought, you know, think think about this. Jesus said he's going to prepare this place and I've heard a lot of people teach and say that Jesus is going to make, you know, add on to the house. Jesus got a big mansion but it's not big enough and, uh, you know, Tom needs an extra big room because he just needs his space and, uh, you know, he's going to heaven to somehow add on to his house and to make more rooms. But if you read carefully, that's not what he says. He says, my father's house has tons of rooms. Because they're already there. The rooms are there. You know, God created the world in seven days. How long could it take Jesus to add on to the house? Okay, it's not that difficult. I know he's a carpenter. He loves to build. He loves the whole power tool thing. But, but that's not what he's talking about here. He said, heaven has plenty of space, plenty of rooms for everybody, but I must go and prepare the place. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, literally he means... Um, that, that he needs to take a journey. And the word there, to go, really means to go on a journey. And Jesus is focusing more on the journey part than on the arriving. Okay, the focus is on the process or the going. And then he says, I'm going to, uh, to prepare this place. The word that's used there for prepare is the same word when John the Baptist was going out, crying out, a voice in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. And if the word that was used to describe if a king was coming to town, they would go out and they would would prepare the roadway. They would make a smooth, flat, plain road where the king could come easily into the city. Uh, What Jesus is talking about here is that he must, before we can get to heaven, he has to prepare the way for us to get there. He has to pave the way. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking here about the cross. He says, you know, the heaven's there, the rooms are there, they're decorated nice, you're going to like it. You know, uh, there's little candies on the pillow, the whole works. It's all taken care of. The problem is, you can't get there from here unless I go first and prepare the place, the way. And Jesus did that through the cross. He says, I must go, not because I need to go to heaven, but because I need to go to the cross and deal with your sin and mine, pay the penalty for our wrongs against God. Paul says that that Jesus took upon him the full wrath of God. The bottom line is, God is not happy at the rebellion of our heart against Him. When we sin, it's not just that we're doing our own thing. It's that we're telling God to get lost. That's what sin is. It's telling God we can do it our own way. And that's why for the Pharisees, even their righteousness was not good enough. They weren't murderers or criminals or you know, bank robbers or uh, sleeping with prostitutes. They were very upright and moral people. But Jesus said, your righteousness is not good enough because you think you can do it on your own without God's help. And when we have that attitude, we're telling God to get lost. It is the rebellion of our heart against him. And while he loves us, it, his n- normal response to us ruining what he has created is one of anger and wrath. And what we deserve is God's full anger poured out for our rebellion against him. But Jesus said, I want you to experience something much different. And so I am going to prepare a way. And the way I will do that is through the cross. I will suffer and take upon myself the full wrath of God's anger because of our love for you. Isn't that an amazing thing? We don't have to do anything to pay for the penalties of what we have done against God. That's what the cross is about. And that's what Jesus had to go to prepare. A way. Otherwise, there is no way to get to heaven. Jesus said there's nobody in their own that's good enough, holy enough, pure enough. Uh, Because if we do it our own way, we're telling God we don't need him. And it doesn't work that way. So, so that's what Jesus is talking about here. And he says, don't worry. Once I, once I prepare the way, once I have paid the price on the cross and I have risen again to prove that I can conquer sin and death, I will come back and get you. And, uh, you know, I'm going to make your reservations. I'm going to reserve your room. I'm going to save for you a place, A home. And he says, someday I'm going to come back and I am going to take you home to be with me. Isn't that an amazing thing? Uh, You know, if I'm anxious and worried and fearful and frustrated, there's usually one place where I feel ultimately safe. uh, And that's home. You know, home, I'm with my family, I'm with people who care about me. Uh, It's the place where I know I belong. I never have to worry about if I stay too long and like people... Like going, you know, the old yawn thing. I have to breathe up. It's in my own house. I, I belong there. And Jesus said, Someday I'm coming back to get you and take you home with me. One of the great truths of the resurrection is that we know this is true and it's going to happen. Because Jesus rose again and he did come back. And he saw the disciples, he talked with them, he met with them on many occasions. And, uh, and he went to heaven to make final preparations. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's repainting, doing some remodeling. I don't know what else he's doing there. Um, until the time comes and time is full when he will come and take us home. Um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things about fear and about worry about our future... I, I, Uh, is that, you know, we really worry too much about things that, if we thought about it, don't really make a lot of sense. I have a good friend, uh, Foster Klein, works with kids, he's kind of a, a child psychologist, and he used to tell kids, when kids would come with all their troubles and worries and problems, he would ask them this question. He'd say, you know, no matter what their situation was, he would say, what's the worst thing that could happen to you? What's the absolute worst thing that could happen? Well, most of the kids would say, well, I could die. And he would always say this. He would always say, yeah, yeah, you could die, but don't worry about that because everybody dies. Okay, that's not a big deal. Aside from death, what could happen? You know. Well, the kids usually come up with some kind of lame thing. Um, the reality is, in terms of your future, when you are stressed and worried and troubled, what really is the worst possible thing that could happen to you? Well, yeah, you could die, in theory, but... If you did, would it really be that bad? If you die, you get to be, go, go home and be home with Jesus. Is it that bad? Uh, if it is that bad, then we need to think through our salvation here. Okay? Uh, Jesus says, you'll be with me forever at home, in a place where my room is right. I don't know how he does that, but but every room is adjoining with Jesus' room. Okay, I don't know how he does that, but every room is just right next door to Jesus. So all of us will have a room right next door to Jesus. And he will be there and, and life will be good. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to fear. Um, God has these things in control. You know, when Denise and I fight, when we're, you know, we, we worry. One of the things we worry about is money. And uh, we don't have enough money. Anybody here never have enough money? <laughs> I never have enough money. And sometimes it stresses me out, honestly. And it's like, I worry about my future. Well, am I worried about dying? Well, probably not. I don't think I'm going to get that far. But I'm kind of worried about having to eat too much rice. That's what it comes down to. Like, you know, I'm not going to be able to go to Mike's Burgers, and I'm going to have to live for a whole month eating just cow pot. And uh, I get stressed out, and so we fight. Because I'm worried about the future. And Jesus says... You know, the worst that can happen to you is you die. And I've got it covered. I've got it covered. And if I, could, if I was willing to go to the cross to deal with the worst problem in your life, death, then don't you think I can take care of, you know, Cal pot and Mike's Burgers? Okay, those are small things. I took care of sin and death. You know, burgers are easy. i got it covered. And so I can trust him. Well, you may be saying, okay, that's all good. And you can say Jesus is in, is in control and all that. But how do we know it's true? How do we know Jesus is coming back? Maybe he went out to his mansion and he's, you know, hanging out by the hot tub, drinking, you know, like heavenly tea, and he's just forgot about us. Well, that's a good question. In fact, the disciples kind of were worried about the same thing. And Jesus, a little later, says in verse 18, I will not abandon you and leave you as orphans. I will come to you again. In just a little while, the world will not see me. He's talking about his death, his, his crucifixion. But you will see me again, he says, for I will live again, and you will too. And when I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Uh, today, we celebrate the resurrection, and it's the great, incredible reminder that Jesus is not forgetting us. He came back and He will come back again. Uh, he is living, He is present with us now. Uh, he is uh, preparing this place, and His longing, His heart's desires for that day. When he gets to come get us and take us home. And there's going to be this amazing party. The worship today was good, it was awesome. But when, it's not going to compare with the celebration that we will have one day when Jesus comes and takes us back. And the resurrection is our, is our promise, our hope of that future. Um, he goes on, he says, um, he, he, he addresses their questions. And they're still not getting this, you know. They're just—they're confused, and Thomas is frustrated. You know, just show us the way. And uh, they're not getting it. Jesus says, "You know where I'm going, and you know how to get there." And they're going, "No, we don't. We're confused. Give us a map." Well, uh, you know, a troubled heart is also a sign that God's not very real. The reality is that oftentimes one of one of the things that we struggle with is that we know all this stuff in our head, and you know we know yeah Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood and he rose again, but it's distant, right? It's not something that grips us right here in the here and now. It's far away. And like the disciples, we want concrete, real life, down to earth, simple instructions. They said, Jesus, just draw us a map. Here's a pen and paper. You know, give us your address and a map to get there. Because they were not getting it. They were still thinking in earthly terms. And Jesus uh, understands that, that they don't get it because they're still thinking in the abstract. Jesus says to them simply, Look, I'm going to the Father. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be with my heavenly Father. I'm going to return to him. And then he says, I, I am the way. I am the truth, the true and living way. I am the way to get there. No one gets to the Father but through me. Uh, There is only one way to heaven. People accuse Christians of being extremely exclusive. Okay, we are guilty. We are exclusive. But we are not exclusive because we made this up. Jesus himself said, look, you want to get to heaven? There is only one way. And that is through Jesus Christ. It is only through my blood. That was shed for sin. There's no other way. And he says, it's just that simple. I'm going to heaven. If you want to get there, you just come through me. I am the door. You enter through me into that great city. Well, they're still not quite getting it, and so still grasping for straws. Philip says, okay, 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 forget the map, okay? Let's try this one. Just show us the Father. Just, you know, if, if God would just show up, like everything would just click, you know. You ever feel that way? God, if you would just be here, it would make the, it would make church this morning really pretty impressive. If boom, God just showed up on stage, I could sit down. I could go have a muffin. I wouldn't have to, you know, be up here. And you would all like it a whole lot better, right? And that's what they were. They said, Jesus, just show us the Father. If God would show up, then everything would be okay. And you see, they were struggling with this very Old Testament abstract concept of God. Uh, And they had this idea of a God who was far away, hidden in a cloud, inaccessible. Uh, They had this picture of God that that if you went to the holy place where God was, his holiness was a fire that would consume you. That's the Old Testament picture often of God. And uh, he was far away. He wasn't part of their real life and their real world. Uh, He was not a God who showed up in their everyday life. In some ways he did, but, but they wanted something they could put their hands on. And Jesus says the most amazing thing in response to his question. He says, Philip, don't you get it yet? After all this time I have been with you, don't you see that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking to see him? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say are not my own, but my Father's who lives in me and does his work through me. Uh, Jesus says an amazing thing here. He says, you know, guys, you want to see the Father? He's right here. Just look at me. See this face? This is God, okay? Okay? He says, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus used those words to communicate his oneness with God. Jesus was alone unique in that he came from the Father. He was God's Son who came out from him, a separate person, God the Father, God the Son, two distinct persons, but sharing together this one being that was God. Okay, None of us sharing it like he did with the Father. We will someday be, and the Father will talk about that next week, but we don't share fully God's nature and character like Jesus does. Jesus says, I am 100% the revelation of God. And the cool thing is that he's saying in this is that God is here, very real and very present now. You want to see God, you want to know God, you want to know what he's like, just look at me. I am the full, down-to-earth hands-on representation of God. I am here to be with you live and in person. It's true in the past, God was invisible and remote and in some ways inaccessible. But my coming has changed all that. I am now a God who's a God that you can put your hands on. Um, We're going to look next week a little more at what it means to have Jesus be with us. His coming and His resurrection assures us that we can have a down-to-earth, one-on-one relationship with God in real life. And we're going to look at next week what that means for Jesus to come and dwell and be with us and be in us. But just the short answer is this. It's very difficult to have an ongoing relationship with a dead guy. Okay? I've noticed that. Somebody dies, you send mail, they never answer. Okay? Okay? You can send emails. They don't reply. Jesus is not dead. He rose again. He is living. He answers his email. Okay? Try it sometime. You may be surprised what happens. Okay? I don't have his email address. You'll have to find that on your own. You can Google it, though, I'm sure. It's there. Um, and Jesus says an amazing thing a little bit later. <coughs> the disciples were still having a hard time understanding all this. They were having a hard time grasping what Jesus was saying. But he explains it a little further in verse 20 when he says this. When I am raised to life again, then you will know, you will understand fully that I am in the Father. You'll understand fully that, that I am God. So he says that all this to the disciples didn't make a whole lot of sense until one great event happened. And that was the resurrection. The resurrection brings sharply into focus this truth and this reality that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher, a moral guy, a, a good person. He was God. Come to this earth, died for our sins, and rose again. Has anybody else in the history of the world brought themselves back to life? No. Only God can do that. And it was visible evidence that of his claims that he was God. It's interesting, his enemies, the Jews, never denied his resurrection. They tried to cover it up, but they never denied it. Uh, It is confirmation that all Jesus says is true. Um, Last thing I want to talk about this morning. Uh, He says, finally, trust me that this is all necessary it's necessary because it prepares the way. It's necessary so that I can take you home with me. It's necessary... Uh, the third point I just made was... It's necessary. I lost it. Uh, oh, that, that I can be with you. You can have this ongoing living relationship with me as God in your life, real and present. But lastly, the last thing I want to talk about this morning, is I must leave you so that the full power of God can be yours. He says, I need to leave, I need to go to the cross and ultimately to the Father so that you can have a much more powerful and effective life. The reality is that before the cross the Christian life was very limited. Even Jesus himself was limited in what he was able to accomplish before the cross. This is what he says in verse um, 12. He says, the truth is Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Yes, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it because the work of the Son brings glory to the Father. Yes, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Um, a sign of a troubled heart is that we do not fill up for the task. Oftentimes we are troubled because we are just flat overwhelmed that we have a job we cannot do. Have you ever felt that way? I pretty much feel that way every day, especially on Sundays. It's like, God, you want me to preach? I can't do this, okay? And I honestly feel that quite often. I go, God, I, I don't have anything to say, and I don't know, I don't know what to do. And uh, God says, it's okay because I'm going to take care of it the disciples were realizing that this reality that Jesus was leaving was drawing closer and closer. And Jesus had given them some very clear directions and instructions and commands and a mission. And these guys are thinking, we can't do this. You know, who are we kidding? Jesus is the guy. We're just kind of, you know, along for the show. You know, we're not the one feeding 5,000. We're not walking on water. Peter tried it, made three steps. It did not go so well. Jesus was doing advanced first aid CPR, you know, because he was about to lose Peter. Uh, They're going, we can't do this. You know, we're not raising people from the dead. Um, If the mission depends on us, we're in big trouble, Jesus. If you leave, we can't do this. You know, we're glad to be on your right and your left hand, but, you know, we can't take your place. And Jesus says, guys, don't worry. The works that I do, you are going to do those very same works. And not only that, you are going to do greater works than I did. Wow. You know, Jesus did some pretty big things. And he says, guys, don't worry. I'm leaving, but you are going to continue on the work and you are going to do big, big things. Well, they would be thinking, you know, well, that may have been good for the disciples, but, you know, I just haven't raised too many people from the dead lately. Uh, what's wrong with me? Jesus is not supposed to do greater works than he... You know, what, what is he talking about here? Well, the the, the key to this uh, problem, this answer, lies in this phrase where Jesus says, you will do greater works because I am going to the Father. It is necessary for me to go to the Father, to return to heaven, to go through the cross and the, and, and the grave and the resurrection, in order for you to be able to complete my work on an even greater scale than I did. But what does he mean by that? Well, he's not talking here necessarily about the quantity of work, and it's true that 2,000 years after Christ, the church collectively has outdone Jesus. You know, we just, there's been more of us, so we could say we've you know, done more, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. I also don't think he's necessarily talking about the quality of his work like we're going to somehow do things more spectacular. Um, Although I do believe that it is fitting and appropriate to pray for spectacular things. That Jesus, uh, in his plan and in his work, wants us to pray for big things and do work in a big way. But I don't really think that's what he's referring to here necessarily. Um, I think what he means is this. That before the cross, before Jesus goes to the Father, all the work that even Jesus himself did was very limited in its effectiveness. Think about this. Jesus raised, just a few days before this, raised Lazarus from the dead. A guy dead four weeks. We talked about this last week. Uh, Dead for four weeks. Four days. Only four days. Same effect, though. You know, he's starting to smell. He was pretty dead. And Jesus raised him to life. Huge miracle. Tons of people saw it. They saw this guy come out of the grave. had been sealed for four days. Really an incredible miracle. And everybody believed, right? No. It says some people believed, but some people were tattletales and went and told the Pharisees. You didn't believe what Jesus was doing. He's raising people from the dead. Can you believe it? Did that miracle have a great effect in the lives of the people who saw it? Well, for many of them, it had no effect. In fact, if anything, it had the effect of turning them away from God. Why? Well, because they were living in darkness. They were living in a world that was still firmly under Satan's grip and control. The enemy had not been defeated yet. And it wasn't until Jesus went to the cross, and on the cross shed his blood, and broke Satan's power over this world, and threw him down as as conqueror over Satan, that the curse of blindness was broken. And so you see, the work that we do is greater and is more effective and is more powerful because it can have an effect that it could not have had before the cross. Jesus said, I have to go to the Father. I have to go through this mission of fulfilling God's purpose for me to go to the cross and the grave and the resurrection, to return to him to bring under my authority and control and sovereign power the the powers of this evil world to break its curse over people's hearts and minds then when you go out and you do my work it will do greater things because it will be done in the power of the blood of Christ and the power of the resurrection it's kind of like this morning here in Chiang Mai you get up this morning you want to see the sun it's not there. Girls got up this morning. They went and had a sunrise service. Came back after an hour. said, how was the sunrise service? They said, well, it was great, but we never saw the sun. Because there was like this thick cloud of smoke, right? And uh, we're all dying because of it. Well, that's, that's Jesus works before the cross. This world veiled in this thick cloud of darkness and smoke and sin. But after the cross, the air is clear. And we work with a new kind of clarity that we can reveal Jesus who is the revelation of God to people with much greater power and effectiveness because we do it through the power and blood of Christ. And Jesus says the most amazing thing. He says, you can ask for anything you want and in my name and I will do it. Wow. Okay, so you guys are thinking, okay, I, I want a new car. A Ferrari would be good. I want a new house. 50 bedrooms would be okay. You know, I want to win the lottery. Okay, Jesus does not say here, I'm going to be your private genie. Okay, he says there's two very important, uh, what's the word? Uh, stipulations, that's a good word. Two stipulations. First stipulation, you must believe in me. Now, notice what he does not say. Uh, A lot of times I hear people teach and preach, I probably said it myself, that if you want answered prayer, you have to believe that God will answer your prayer. Jesus does not say that. He doesn't say you've got to believe in God or believe that He's going to answer your prayer, believe that God is able to answer your prayer, or that God wants to answer your prayer. That's not what He says. He says, You must believe in me. You must believe in the person and work of Christ. What does that mean? well Jesus says I'm going to the cross I am dying for you for your sin I am conquering by my blood sin and I am conquering death uh, when I break out of the tomb you must believe in that and in the mission I have to come and redeem this world and bring God's glory and presence into it he says you must believe in me you know Uh, You can pray for a new house, and and maybe that's a good thing to pray for. I have a new house, so it works. I can tell you that. Uh, Amen. But I didn't get the new house because I believed if I prayed hard enough that if I believed God would answer that prayer, he would do it. It doesn't work that way. I believe in Jesus as the author and finisher of my salvation, as the Lord and master and ruler over my life. And my belief and faith goes to the point that I have surrendered everything in my life and will to Him as Lord and as King. I believe in Him. I have sold out my life for Him. Well, sometimes. I can't say I do this all the time. But that's, that's what it means to believe in Him. That's what it means to trust Him. To put your future and everything about it in His hands. Okay, so that's the first thing. Believe in me with all your heart that I am sovereign Lord, bringing my kingdom and my purpose and my will into your life. I will accomplish my purpose for you. Second thing, he says, pray in my name. Now a lot of times we think if we put Jesus, in Jesus' name at the end, it's a done deal, right? And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I put the magic words on, it's bound to work. Probably not quite what he had in mind. Uh, to pray in Jesus' name, to act in someone's name, is to come as their representative. If I were to say to you this morning that I've been sent by the President of the United States to extend Easter wishes, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that he sent me, that he uh, called me into his office, and at the Oval Office, and said, you know, those people in Chiang Mai are working so hard and they're doing such a great job, I want to send them Easter wishes, so I want you to take that wish to them. So I would come in his name as his representative, as his ambassador. Well, to pray in Jesus' name means essentially the same thing. It means to come before the throne of heaven representing Jesus and his mission and his purpose and all that he stands for. Okay, And we ask in Jesus' name. So what we, have, what we ask for must fit in line with his kingdom purpose and will you go, oh man, this just kills everything. <laughs> so much for the Ferrari, you know. Well, you never know. You never know. I mean, try it, you know. But this is what it means. It means that you can ask for anything, anything, in Jesus' name and he will do it. It means that when you are living by faith in him, you are doing what it says in 14.1, trusting in God, trusting in Jesus. You are looking forward to going to that heavenly home with him. You are not letting fear and worry consume you because you have hope and confidence that when you pray, Jesus is going to do it because he has a plan and a mission for your life he is going to accomplish. And so when you pray with that focus and that faith in mind, he'll do it. There is no limit to what he can, what he can and will do. In fact, he goes on and he says, um, because you can, do, you can pray and ask, and I will do it, because the work of the Son brings glory to the Father. I am still going to do my work. He says, I'm leaving, but, but I'm not finishing my work. I'm going to be in heaven, but my work is going to continue on, and guess who's going to be doing it? You and I. We are on a mission to carry out His work the same work he did, and even greater works that he did. And he says, you know what the deal is? This. When I work through you and I answer prayer, God gets the glory. So here's the secret to seeing God answer huge, amazing prayers. Say, Jesus, you know, I I think this is a great idea. And I trust that you put this on my heart. And I believe this is a work that you want to do to bring glory to your Father. And so I pray with absolute faith in you that you are going to do this work as I come as your representative in faith to see the glory of God extended through my life and in this world. Are there things that you can pray to that effect? There's a lot you can pray to that effect. Uh, Virtually everything in your life ought to fall under that umbrella everything in your life ought to be a work that God is doing to bring glory to the Father. And does that mean like you have to like, kill yourself working 24 hours a day? No. Because sometimes the work that He's doing is in our heart. Sometimes the work is to bring His peace and love and joy into our life. Sometimes, as we'll see next week, the work is to, for us to see Jesus more clearly, to have Him more fully revealed in our life so that we can experience his love in a more powerful way. Uh, Sometimes it is the work of, of missions, of seeing people come to Jesus Christ and seeing their lives transformed by his grace, of making us more effective in ministry, wherever that is, whether you're 10 years old or 90 years old, doing the work that God has for you. Um, Amazing promise. And Jesus says all this is possible through the cross and the resurrection. So we celebrate today not just an event that happened 2,000 years ago that was cool and a lot to celebrate. But ultimately we celebrate because of what it means for us today as well. We have to be living out the resurrection every day of our life. Jesus said, I live And so you too will live. The resurrection means that we have life. And not just eternal life in heaven someday, but today we are living life that is God's work being carried out to bring glory to the Father. Let's pray. That that we can have such hope because of the cross and the resurrection. Father, I pray that you would help us really come to grips with the full meaning of these words and to believe that Jesus spoke these things and either either they were true because he was absolutely speaking the truth or else Jesus was just deceived and deluded and probably a lunatic. because uh, you would have to be crazy and insane to make these statements unless they were true. And so we believe, Father, that that Jesus spoke the truth. And the resurrection confirms that everything He said was real and that we have available to us the opportunity to pray with power and to see miracles done in our life. Great things that carry out and accomplish God's work in the world, Jesus' work in the world, so that our lives would bring glory to You. Lord, we pray that would be true of us. Um, and we surrender our lives in faith to You. In Jesus' name, amen.